Well, we have a special treat for you today. You guys are in for a blessing. Uh, we have a guest speaker with us uh, today, uh, Dr. Peter Kuzmich. And Peter, if you'd come on up here. And uh, Peter uh, is a professor of world missions at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary up on the North Shore in Hamilton. But he only spends part of the time there. Uh, he's from Croatia and so uh, spends uh, a lot of the year there in Croatia at a seminary that he founded and uh, has been an evangelist, a church planter, a pastor, and now is training uh, ministers to go all over Eastern Europe into formerly communist nations to plant churches and start churches. And, and God is using him and his ministry as a force of reconciliation, especially in Croatia and uh, Bosnia with the Serbs and the Albanians and the Croats and all of these different groups who are, you know, at odds with each other. And, and you know, we, we as Americans, we, we hear about the problems in the Balkans, and it's just, you know, a lot of names, and it's difficult for us to comprehend. But, you know, the Lord is bringing people together there through the church, that through the church of God, these uh, hostilities are being reconciled through Jesus. And so it's just an amazing ministry that uh, Dr. Kuzmich has. So um, is your wife here? Is, is Vlasta here? She, yeah. Does she uh, make her way down? So. Yes. She's somewhere. We won't make her stand up unless she wants to. I don't know. It feels. How, how bad do you want to humiliate her? I don't know. You have to live with the consequences. So. Uh, uh, you are the pastor. You are the boss. Okay, fine. Where are you, Vlasta? Just give us a wave. Hey, there you are. Hey, welcome. Good to see you. And uh, so uh, it's it's great to have you here with us. And I was in the first service. Uh, it's just a great word from God that Peter has to share with us. So, Peter, welcome. Thank you. We're so glad to have you Thank here. You. And uh, the children here, kindergarten to second grade, can be dismissed to Children's Church. Well, we have just been told a few minutes ago that children are a gift from God. Last time I come to witness to you that grandchildren are even more a gift from God. We have two. Thank you, Pastor, for making me welcome. I was scheduled twice to come to this church. Once when Dr. A. Pendleton was an interim pastor. And then again some a few years ago. And both times I had to go on some kind of an emergency uh, inter-reconciliation meeting in Bosnia. So last time a student of mine substituted for me. His name is Slave Veleshanov. And I noticed that many of you remember Slave. Slave has started four churches while student in a seminary and has started a number of churches since then and is now pioneering in his native Macedonia which is the former southern, most, most southern republic of former Yugoslavia, now an independent nation, as it is my native Slovenia. Uh, how many of you have traveled Europe? Well, you, you are a world-class church, and I know you are in a wonderful way involved in world missions. Uh, I was, Yugoslavia was called the India of Europe because you had these different languages and religions, uh, six republics, uh, two autonomous regions, public education in 12 or 13 languages, two different alphabets, four million Muslims in this European country, and so on. Well, now we have six countries out of one, and there may, Kosovo may soon be independent. That would be seven. I was born in Slovenia. That's the most northern Republic. If you wanted to travel by car from Germany to Greece and then on to Holy Land, which I don't recommend, at least not that route, uh, you would uh, come through Austria 
enter Slovenia, drive through Croatia uh, with a Bosnian border on your right, then through uh, Serbia and then through Macedonia exit and enter Greece and Greek Macedonia, places like Thessaloniki and other places. Well, I was born in Slovenia. I'm a citizen of Croatia. I should say Croatia and U.S. I have double citizenship. I have lived in Bosnia. Bosnia was also my first missionary calling, and I still spend time in ministry there. And I've lived for two years in Serbia, in Belgrade, the capital. So when people hear that, and they know the recent history of inter-ethnic warfare between these nations, and they know of the refugee crisis and ethnic cleansing and so on, and they say, what, you are Croatian, native Slovenian, Croatian citizen, lived in Bosnia, lived in Serbia? Who are you actually? Aren't you a little confused? You come from that place where they are frantically searching for their ethnic identity. What is your identity? Others are even fanatically fighting for their ethnic purity. So what is your identity? Well, if anybody would uh, doubt that I might be confused, I use a little pedagogical device and I try to confuse them in return. So I bring my wife Vlasta into the picture. You see, I met Vlasta in Germany in a theological college where she came from Serbia, although she is Croatian, although her father is half German and her mother is fully Czech. The answer is in the words of the poet whose name you know well, Robert Frost, who said, don't worry about me. I'm not confused. I'm just well mixed, <laughs> like some of you. And for us followers of Christ, the answer is, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. And when you are born again and you become a citizen of God's kingdom, which is above the kingdoms of this world, you have a new identity. Oh, your national cuisine and folklore may still be of some interest, but that's not your primary identity. Your primary identity is Christ and his international body, the Church of Jesus Christ, because we don't serve a tribal God. We don't have a nationalistic deity. Our God is the Lord of the universe and the Lord over all nations. And so when you are in Christ, you are incorporated into this international, inter-ethnic, inter-denominational, inter-generational, interracial, whatever other inters there are. That wonderful international body of those who have been saved through Jesus Christ, the church called after his name. And so we are all brothers and sisters and we have a message for our broken world. We have a message of hope for the world in despair. We have a message of life for people who are afraid of death. And we have a message for the nations of the world. Jesus tells us in the Great Commission to go and disciple all nations. In Matthew 24, a few chapters earlier, he gives a warning. He says the time was coming when many will come to deceive you claiming that they are Christ, the Messiah. And then he says in verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. And then he says in verse 7, nation will rise against nation 
and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places and so on. It's like reading the headlines of New York Times. The front page. But it's not all bad story. Jesus goes on to mention a few other calamities and dangers and increase of wickedness and even apostasy among some Christians. And then, but he concludes this section with an amazing verse of hope. Verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom. What kingdom? He just says kingdom will rise against kingdom. He's talking about a different kingdom. God's kingdom. This gospel of the kingdom, and the gospel is the good news, of God's kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Earlier, it was nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Only a few lines later, he says, but there is a good news for the world in danger and animosity. The world of hatred and exclusion. The world of warfare. And uh, he says, the good news is the gospel of God's kingdom. And it's for all nations. And it's a message of reconciliation for the nations. As your pastor has mentioned, I've been involved in this ministry, including ministry of reconciliation, for a number of years. I'm grateful for the vision uh, and, and the support of an endowed professorship at Gordon Conwell, which enables me to donate about two-thirds of my time to the ministry in some dangerous places. You see, I was sitting in my office when I first came, and we came as refugees. Gordon Conwell is a former monastery, a wonderful, quiet place. We were so grateful for that place because our family needed recuperation. Our daughter was traumatized during the shelling of our city, by the way, over 150,000 shells fell on the city in eight months. Every third house was hit, many destroyed or severely damaged. We had to evacuate our student body with students from some 60 nationalities, actually more than that. And uh, so we are out of danger now in a quiet, wonderful place, North Shore. Not as beautiful as South Shore, but, you know. <laughs> I was uh, working on a manuscript. The manuscript was overdue, and then the phone rang, and it was my mayor, a political leader, a brilliant young political leader, member of the parliament, president of his own party in the, in the parliament, and Dr. Kramaric said, Peter, I'm so glad I got your phone number. You in America, do you know what's happening in your city? And he describes the story, I don't have the time to retell the whole thing. But among other things, he said, those that didn't have anybody to help them evacuate are still here and are in danger. Constant shelling. The hospital bombed out, running out of anesthesia. We are beginning to operate in several hospitals in the region without anesthesia. And he went on and he says, and you're in America and you're a Christian. He was not a Christian. And he said, as a Christian, you cannot be indifferent. What will you do about that? And I pushed my manuscript aside because I noticed my tears were dropping on the manuscript. As I came under the conviction that I was engaged in promoting, selfishly promoting my own academic career while people were 
dying, starving, suffering through operations without anesthesia and so on. Next morning I went to the president's office and I said, I have to go back. And he says, you cannot go back. He says, I watched Peter Jennings last night on ABC News. Your city is in flames. Your city will fall next. You cannot go back. And we had a little argument. You should never, never have an argument with your boss. You know that. But uh, they kept my family in a safe place, and I went back. I went back and forth. Together with some of my former students, we risked our lives, went into the city under the shelling. And when the mayor took me through the bombed out basement of the bombed out hospital, and these hands touched the body of a limbless boy, limbless due to indiscriminate shelling. And what I saw, other things. There I started crying again. And something changed. I started reading scriptures again, looking for how can we find good news for bad times. See, I'm a great commission Christian. How do you evangelize without appearing as if exploiting suffering in situations like that? How do you bring hope when everybody is engulfed in despair? And so I want to share with you, my friends, some of the lessons we have learned. And I think they apply to all of us. Uh, we live in a very dangerous world. You know, when a hundred years ago, when the, the century, 20th century, was about to start, the century we exited, there was a great optimism in the world. There were those that were saying, among social scientists and philosophers and even liberal theologians, that were saying, we've got this advancement, education for everyone, medical breakthrough, technological advance, scientific discoveries. Everything is going great. The 20th century, they announced, would be a century of peace. A century in which of justice, in which no human being would exploit another human being. Or as one of them said, it will be a century in which there will be war no more. We know what happened with that century of peace. Solzhenitsyn, the great Russian dissident writer, Nobel Prize winner, called the 20th century the most cannibalistic century of all. The First World War broke out, and then the Bolshevik Revolution, and then the Nazi rise, and the Holocaust, and Second World War. And this great nation came over twice to save Europe in the 20th century. And then we ended in Sarajevo, one of my favorite places, where the shot was fired that caused the First World War and where the 20th century ended in most horrible killing and warfare and ethnic hatred. 112.8 million people, almost 113 million people, civilians and Soldiers were killed in 20th century alone. That is four times as many as in four centuries before put together. That thing by itself tells us that something is fundamentally wrong with humanity. There is not just the social conditions and arrangements. There is something in the human heart. One of the great American thinkers said that the Christian doctrine of sin is the least popular of all Christian doctrines and yet the one for which we have the most overwhelming empirical evidence everywhere. So is there a hope for a broken world? What about the dangerous world in which we live? I remember when I first started coming to this country, people 
would not understand if you spoke about danger or if we spoke about persecution that we suffered through under communism. But then when September 11 happened and this great country of plenty and liberty and opportunity suddenly entered also an era of peril and perplexity and fear and uncertainty all around us. Wasn't that quite a scare just a couple of days ago in Boston? And everything came to a standstill. Thank God it was not what was suspected to be. But there is a fear and uncertainty. How do we respond? There are over 40 wars going on in our world right now. And there is a nuclear threat which we thought that with the dismantling of the Soviet Empire was gone. And so you have an Iran or a North Korea and we could go around the globe for which we don't have the time to analyze the situation. And then, of course, we as citizens of the kingdom of God ask the question, what about the kingdoms of this world? Is there a hope? Jesus says here, there is a hope. Most people don't know there is a hope because they don't know Jesus. They don't know about his kingdom. And you have those who ignore these painful realities because they are optimists by nature and so they go into a naive optimism and they superficially say, well, everything will turn uh, out all right. And you have the other extreme, extreme response, the kind of a cynical pessimism. And what I would like to suggest based on scriptures and experience that we need a biblical realism. Biblical realism which takes into account the conditions of the world, but also the condition of human heart. And at the same time, rediscover the biblical hope in order to engage our despairing world. And that biblical hope, as I said, is, Jesus puts it in that one expression, the gospel of the kingdom. How do we respond? Let me briefly mentioned three C's for ministry in a broken world. Three C's. The one, C number one stands for context. C number two stands for compassion. And C number three stands for credibility. What do we mean by context? Well, context is a place where the text takes place. Okay? Context is the reality. Context is the world. Christian life and ministry, not just missions, your life, everyday life, is a constant journey between God's Word, the text, and God's alienated world, the context. If we ignore the context, if we ignore the world, we betray the word. Because the word sends us into the world. The word is not proclaimed and Christian life is not lived in a vacuum. Away from reality. Of course, you, if you ignore the word, as many liberals have done, you have nothing to bring to the world. Because it is in the word that we have the message of hope. That's where the transformative power is. That's where we find the name of Jesus. The only Savior and Lord. The only hope 
for our broken world. So it's a constant two-way journey. Jesus sends us into the world. He says, you are, as he prays in high priestly prayer, he says, Father, I do not pray that you will take them out of the world. But keep them away, keep them from the evil, protect them. And then he says, sometimes I have students come and say, well, how is it there is no great commission in the Gospel of John? I said, who says there is no great commission? There is in the Gospel of John, 20, 21. Lord Jesus says, in the same way the Father has sent me, I send you into the world with the word. Now, how did the Father send Jesus? Do you think they had a conference up there and, and Jesus says, Father, you want to send me down there to that dirty planet? You know, it's dangerous down there. People are nasty. Remember how they treated your prophets? And even Moses? Why risk that much? Why don't we create at a safe distance between heaven and earth, somewhere on the third sky, a kind of a kingdom of God broadcasting station? Jesus did not pick up a big heavenly megaphone to shout down to the inhabitants of the planet Earth, Repent or... No, he entered human flesh. He entered human history. He became one of us. He became a refugee already as a child. And he was hungry and thirsty and tired and hurting. In every way, he was like we are. Except that he did not sin, which uniquely qualified him to take your sins and my sins and the sins of the world out there and have them nailed to the cross in his body. And that's why he is our Savior and Lord. He paid for our redemption. Redemption that we could not buy, we could not earn, we don't deserve. He did it all to make it available to us. But he did it because he entered our world. He entered our context. A context. He didn't do it from a distance. I've discovered, especially in Muslim-dominated war-torn Bosnia, that there is no evangelism in antiseptic conditions. And we had to learn that proclamation alone would not do it. Because it would smack of religious propaganda and senseless proselytizing. So context is very important. Second, compassion. Compassion. Remember, in Matthew 9, Jesus looked at the crowds and he has two pictures, sheep and then harvest. One speaks of human need, the other of opportunity. Sheep like uh, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Speaks of danger. Speaks of leaderless flock nobody no familiar voice of authority that would take them to green pastures and fresh waters Jesus saw them we need a vision that's the first verb mentioned there and then there is a second verb and he was moved with compassion in the Greek original language it's one word it's very rarely used and I was a Bible translator when I was younger I would translate this one uh, he loved them. When he saw them, he loved them to the point that it caused him pain. That's what redemptive love is all about. 
So we need the eyes of Jesus, the vision of Jesus, and the heart of Jesus, the love of Jesus, to reach the people who are suffering, who are in pain, who are lost, who are confused, who are without hope. Vision and love, eyes and heart. You all recognize the name of Helen Keller. You know how handicapped she was, among other things, blind, and yet how much she accomplished. She was interviewed in later years, and the interview, in an interview he, she was asked, Miss Keller, is there anything worse than being blind? And she thought for a moment and said, yes, there is something worse than being blind, having sight but no vision. Having sight but no vision. We need the vision of Jesus. And we need that compassion, that love that motivates us to see people the way God sees them and to love them the way God loves them. To bring them out of darkness into the light, out of danger, out of the spirit of revenge and animosity, into the realm of forgiveness and reconciliation. New life. In Christ, that is the hope for our broken world. I am a great commission Christian. We Christian, we, we, we associate usually great commission with Matthew 28, of course. But it was in those basements and refugee camps that we discovered also Matthew 25. Matthew 25, I was hungry and you gave me to eat, or you didn't. I was thirsty and you gave me or you didn't give me to drink. I was naked and you clothed me or you didn't. You remember the story. I was a refugee and you took me in or you didn't. I was a prisoner, you visited me or you didn't. And, and then the king, his final pronouncement on the judgment day will depend on how we treated those, he calls them little ones. Those that were hungry and naked and thirsty and, and in danger and refugee. And so when I called together evangelical leaders in former Yugoslavia to establish this ministry that has saved so many lives, I told them uh, we, this will be a ministry of two hands. And Slave probably told you something about it a few years ago. In one hand, we give them daily bread because they're physically hungry. With the other hand, we give them eternal bread because they're spiritually hungry. The great commission and the great compassion belong together. Both are the words of our Lord. And it's amazing how the Lord used this, this ministry. We had to learn that people have not only ears to hear what we proclaim. They also have eyes with which they watch how we live and what we do. They have not only souls that we register for eternal life for heaven. They also have stomachs that need to be filled and bodies that are hurting, that must be treated or protected from mortal danger. So from, we move from context to compassion let me mention the third C, and it's very much related, and it is credibility. What do I mean by credibility? And that's, this, of course, are principles not just for dangerous places out there, Balkans or Afghanistan or Iraq. There are many other dangerous places. These are principles even for our daily life, our own surrounding, that we don't proclaim just from a safe distance but love people the way they are and where they are. Compassion, context, and that we be credible witnesses. You see, we have the most credible message. The gospel is the most credible message for our world. There is no philosophy in the world. There is no ideology of the world that comes anywhere close because all of them throughout history have been discredited. 
And this gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed now for 2,000 years. Reaching every nation in the world. Transforming lives like it transformed my young life when I was president of the Socialist Youth League, which is like a junior communist party, and my praying father would not give up. And, that, and one night, the gospel changed my life totally. And I became a witness for Christ, although I denied that reality only a day or two before. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. But how will they believe if they have not heard? How will they hear if we don't witness? How will they hear there if we don't send? So we are all interlinked here in ministry of the kingdom. The question is whether that credible Savior with that credible message given to us has found credible messengers and credible communities that become attractive places of love and forgiveness so that people out of the world will be drawn to us because of this great treasure that we have discovered in Jesus Christ, in his gospel, in the community of those who have been redeemed. Credibility. You see, the ministry that we started has given us credibility and has opened many doors. Today, there are more Bible-preaching, New Testament type of churches, Christian churches, in war-torn Muslim Bosnia, than there were individual believers before the war. Today, there are more churches than there were individual believers in Kosovo, also Muslim-dominated war-torn. And it's mostly because of our ministry of alleviating human suffering and bringing message of hope. You see, this, this kind of news, you get only bad news. CNN, ABC, CBC, NBC, whatever sees there are, they understand only what's happening among the kingdoms of this world. They report what they understand. And even there they are confounded they don't understand. But that's what they report. That's what they know. But they don't understand the language and the reality of the kingdom of God operative in the world, transforming lives and communities and bringing peace and hope and reconciliation into the places of antagonism, exclusion and hatred. So I've just given you a very brief telegraphic, because in the news you don't have, you don't have time for long news. I've given you a brief CNN South Shore Baptist update on how the kingdom of God is faring among broken kingdoms of this world in the Balkans. Credibility. Under communism, I would take my students, and some of them were saved through our ministry. Some of them came out of communism. Very brave, very creative. We've started many churches. Sometimes we would go into a community where there was no church. And I would tell the students, and I was out with them, Blasta is my witness. Every Sunday, sometimes we would leave at 3 or 4 in the morning and drive all across former Yugoslavia to rich and unrich city. And sometimes I would tell the students, our main task today is very simple. Just to wash the face of Jesus. And I remember some of their looks, what do you mean by washing the face of Jesus? And I would have to explain to them, you and I know that the face of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the love of Jesus, there is so much beauty. It's so, so precious, so, so dear. But I said, look, the institutional European Christianity has compromised 
Christ and his kingdom throughout the centuries. And then the Marxist atheistic propaganda in this century has tried to distort it, remove it from the face of the earth, the name of Jesus. And they spat on his face and distorted it and, and trampled on it. And I said, if people would just see and recognize who Jesus is. Because it's not religion. Jesus says there will be religious religions everywhere. And religions compete today also for minds and hearts of people. And very often they enslave them more than liberate. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the only hope for our broken world. The gospel which has never been discredited wherever it had been truly tried and lived and proclaimed. Still the power of God. Still that great love for people who live in hatred. So I would tell them, let's just wash the face of Jesus. Make it credible. Well, I need to begin closing because I notice that in New England pulpits, time flies much faster than in Eastern Europe. Let me illustrate this last point on credibility. Bihać, a beautiful town, northwest Bosnia, a town that suffered enormously for three, three and a half years, <coughs> totally cut off. No food was coming in, no medicine. That hospital was operating without anesthesia for long periods of time. There are over 1,150 kids who lost one or both parents due to indiscriminate shelling. There are some common friends. We ask Elizabeth Dole, now a senator, her husband, was helping us also for the Balkans. She was president of the American Red Cross at that time, and she did everything so that the Red Cross could bring some food in and, they were all, and medicine. They were always turned back. UNHCR, which is the United Nations agency, could not come in. Two brave young men, my students, risked their lives through the mountains, through the snow. They brought in some medicine, risking, really risking their lives. They were received like angels in Bihać. When Bihać, with the American and NATO help, was finally liberated, we were welcomed and registered as the first Christian organization to provide a hot kitchen, dried food, articles, clothing, and uh, so on. About two months later, the mayor of the city calls our director and myself for a special occasion. They honor us for our work. Then the executive of the city take us for a supper and we have this long conversation, about two, two and a half hours into conversation. I turned to the mayor and I said, Mayor Alagic, you are Muslim and I'm a Christian. How is it that we get along this well? And he had a smile on his face and he said, well, that's because I'm not the kind of Muslim that many people think. He said, I'm just a nominal Muslim. I have a Muslim name, some Muslim upbringing, but I really, but I'm not militant, I'm not fundamentalist and I don't have a deep commitment to Allah. And then he said, but I am increasingly interested in your Jesus because of who you people are and what you do. And he put it that, in those words, that order. Who you are and what you do. You see, our, our, doing, our doing has to be natural outgrowth of our being. And then he says, and you are not the kind of Christians like those other Christians. He says, your people did not come in the medieval fashion like others with a cross in one hand and a sword in another. 
And he said, and your young men did not come raping our wives and our daughters, which was happening at a large scale, so as to inflict as much pain and shame on them that they would never return to this pain, place of painful memory. He says, and you did not come with territorial claims and no political aims. Your people just came loving our people, feeding them, helping them, taking care of their needs. And then he said, you know, I'm a mayor here, so tonight I'm signing this document. And he pulled it, he got his secretary put, pulled it out. And he signed that we didn't have to pay anything for the beautiful facility in the center of the town that we were using, paying 500 German marks, that was about $250 every month at that time. He says, you don't have to pay anything. You're doing good for our people, and we want to make at least small contribution now that we are partners. And then he said, as a mayor, I can go anywhere. So I visited, knowing you were coming, I visited early this morning. I walked through the building, and I went into some back rooms which were closed. And I saw some boxes, and the boxes were closed. And he said, on some boxes it says, Novi Zavit. That means New Testament. He was an educated man, he knew what that meant. He says, then there were other boxes that said, Billy Graham, Mirs Bogom. Mirs Bogom means peace with God, which we translated and, and to make available for them. You see, I told our people, go in, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, help the refugee, don't Start with literature. Start with love. Thank God they obeyed me. So the literature was still unopened. Had we started with literature, we would have been driven out the first day. There's a great need for wisdom and compassion. And wisdom and compassion sometimes produces patience. Waiting for God's kairos, God's appointed time. And so this Muslim mayor tells this evangelical minister, oh, feel free to distribute your literature. When we are surprised or shocked in Eastern Europe, we listen with our mouth open. So I was... And then he shocked me even more. He said, and if you want to start a church, go ahead. I don't know whether that has happened before. A Muslim mayor telling, start a church. We did. That week he helped us register it. I've got six... Operation Mobilization people from England and my graduates, my former students doing wonderful work in that city and the surrounding area today. By this time my jaw was hurting. <laughs> and he saw that. So he says, oh, don't worry, Dr. Kuzmich, you can do it. We trust you. And I said, Mayor Alagic, tell me honestly, why do you trust us? They became the least trusting people in Europe at the time. They felt like everybody was their enemy. And they said, we trust you because you're credible with us. And you're credible with us because you became vulnerable with us. You're credible because you became vulnerable. So we trust you, we believe you. Trust and belief are related. And at that point, the Holy Spirit reminded me, that this was an open door and I shared with him the story of the most credible person that walked the planet earth. You know his name? Yes, say his name. Jesus is his name. He is the most credible person because he became the most vulnerable person. The way he was born, the way he was put on that cross like a criminal, all of that vulnerability was to save us, to bring hope for a broken world. That's why he's the most credible person. So friends, let us be.
contextually sensitive in our neighborhoods and praying for the world. Let us be credible, compassionate representatives of God's kingdom among the broken kingdoms of this world. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this precious time with my brothers and sisters here at South Shore. I pray for them as I pray for our own ministry in the Balkans, as we pray for the world, that the world of despair will see that the only hope is Jesus, his gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. And may we truly, credibly, compassionately share it with those around us and those far away. Thank you for using this church at home and through world missions around the world. May the name of Jesus be lifted up and glorified in everything we are and do. For we pray in his name and for his glory and his glory alone. Amen.